Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Saturday, May 13th. It is a rare day in May where there is no action on the hardwood tonight, but just because the players are taking a night off doesn't mean we can't hit the pod and talk some hoops. On today's episode, we are going to be doing two main things. First is we are going to break down the current lines and games. We have a Game 7 Sunday Philadelphia at Boston. We have a Game 1 Tuesday Lakers at Denver Nuggets start of the Western Conference Finals. And we are going to work through a futures hedge. This is the time of year where a lot of people start asking me about how to handle their futures tickets. I have one really good-looking existing future in my portfolio, so I will explain to you what that ticket is and exactly how I am working off of it, deciding whether or not to hedge, what the rules of hedging are, and how to fit them to my ticket. Now, if you are listening and you have an existing futures ticket that looks good, you can simply substitute the teams and substitute the variables that I'm looking at and apply these rules to your ticket. It should be pretty transferable from, I'm going to give it to you as a as a nugget side, but you could flip that around and understand it if you were on the Celtics or the 76ers or the Lakers, or even in the future, if you're on a Super Bowl favorite and we're getting into the NFL playoffs. So if you're on a World Series favorite and we're getting late into the MLB season. So this is just generally how to work off of a futures ticket, how to work through a hedge situation, when to hedge, when not to hedge, how to do the math around exposure hedging. So I'm going to go through all of that. But before I get started, as always, let me remind you of a few housekeeping things. Follow me on Twitter, at mfiddle14. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And most importantly, I'll say this a few times through the episode, on Tuesday, May 16th this week is the NBA Draft Lottery. I am going to be hosting the Sports Ethos YouTube live watch-along party. So let's find out together who's getting Big Vic. We have a lineup of amazing guests coming on to the live stream, I was going to say podcast, um, and it should be a great time to come hang out. So I will be tweeting out more information about it. I will be tweeting out the live link. So again, make sure you're following me at mfiddle14. But most importantly, mark your calendars. Tuesday night, May 16th, we are starting at 745. We are going to be going through the NBA draft lottery, likely starting into the first quarter of the Lakers Nuggets game, a little watch along party. I will be joined by Austin, frequent guest on this podcast throughout the entire stream as well as three surprise guests who are some pretty big names. So please come join us there. I look forward to to doing it, to hosting my first YouTube live, to hosting my first Sports Ethos live stream. And yeah, it should be a great time. And let's find out who gets Victor, LeBron 2.0, Wembenyama. No, I don't actually think he's better than LeBron. That'd be blasphemy coming out of my mouth. Okay, let's start this episode off with talking about the games that are on the board. The lines that we currently have, we have the Game 7 in Boston, line dropped at Celtics minus 7.5, total dropped at 205.5. Now, I jumped in on Celtics minus 7.5 and and the over 205.5 immediately. Probably not the smartest thing given how the market has moved. 
I am certainly in a contrarian spot. The current line is Celtics minus six and a half. The current total is over under 201. So we have gotten serious movement in the total and a little bit of movement in the spread. We are going to talk about how they correlate in a second. But first off, why did I jump in on those positions? First off, I thought the total was significantly too low. And if you ask how I feel about the total at 201, I, I, I go even further. I don't know if I'm going to increase my exposure in a contrarian spot to the market, but I don't mind being on the over 205 and a half. I've talked about both of these teams in relation to totals so many times throughout the season. The Boston Celtics shoot the uh, second most three-pointers in the league and do it with the fourth best efficiency in the league. So they are a high volume and high efficiency three-point shooting team. That leads to a lot of scoring. On the flip side of that, the Philadelphia 76ers have two of the best players at getting to the free throw line in Harden and Embiid. And both of them, when they get there with incredibly high volume, also shoot north of 80% efficiency. So we have two teams, one that gets to the free throw line relentlessly and one that hunts threes. Generally, those are both over spots. So even though this is a game seven, even though game seven unders are a massive trend, we are in the age of pace, space, scoring. We are in the age of flopping and getting any foul call you can and playing the ref just as you're playing your opponent. So for those reasons, I want to buck the trend of game seven unders. And I think this line is artificially low and I really like the over. Now let's correlate that to the spread. When the, when the spread comes out at seven and a half, and of course we know seven, most important number in NBA spreads because it is the most common outcome of NBA games. When you have a late free throw situation and you are fouling another team with 20, 30 seconds left, once you get to a seven point threshold, you generally stop fouling because that is a three possession game. So uh, that's where you see teams stop trying to make a comeback. You see them when there's a five-point game, still, you know, do a late foul. So that will give the other team two free throws, a chance to push it to seven. And that's why we get so many games that end on seven, because it's if it's a seven-point game, they don't foul. If it's a five-point game, they do foul. If it's a six-point game, they still foul. Maybe they make one out of two. A lot of late-game scenarios end in seven, and it correlates to the numbers. So moving from seven and a half to six and a half, and me being on the seven and a half, it sucks. Like, that is... A little bite in my tush that I don't like to experience. Um, on the flip side, I do think it is less correlated to steam coming in on Philadelphia and more correlated to general massive movement in the total going from, like I said, opening line 205 and a half all the way down to 201. So if there's four and a half points of movement in the total, it only makes sense that the spread has to come down a little bit. If there's going to be five points less scored in this game, simple way to think about it, I mean, this is a very basic approach to this, is maybe three of those points come from the Celtics, two of those points come from the 76ers, and thus the spread also needs to reduce a bit. So these things, although it's one gambling market, there's also a against the spread market, there's also a money line market, there's also a total market, they are all correlated to one another. Of course, the money line numbers are going to be a direct ratio to what the spread is. So if the spread ticks back from six and a half to seven, then the money line also increases. In this situation, now that the line's at six and a half, I still really like the Celtics, and I still really like the over, 
This would be the one of the few scenarios where I'm actually behind the market and I'm in a contrarian spot, but I do not mind it. I am not looking to work off of any of these tickets. Uh, we're going to talk about working off tickets when you're behind the market in literally a few minutes. But um, this is not a situation where I'm looking to work off of. This is a situation where I am totally okay being in a contrarian spot. We will see how it turns out. Maybe I'll be egg on my face. Lakers, Nuggets, game one, Tuesday night. Of course, let me remind you guys, right before this game tips off, we are all going to be together, you, me, everyone listening to this podcast, watching the NBA Draft Lottery, live YouTube stream, Sports Ethos. You'll see it on my Twitter. I'll tweet out the link. A watch-along party for the NBA Draft Lottery. Bleeding into the start of the Lakers-Nuggets series uh, line opens at Nuggets minus 4.5. It has been pushed out to five and even five and a half at some spots. I jumped in on Nuggets minus four and a half right away. Of course, just like seven and six and a half versus seven and a half, four and a half versus five and five and a half is also another key number. Seven is the most common outcome in NBA spreads. Five is the second most common outcome in NBA spreads. Five is the most common outcome in NBA games that results in a push because we have a higher volume of games priced at five versus priced at seven. So a five line will push more often, even though a seven will actually happen in actuality in real life more often. Slight, slightly. It's, it's, it's not major differences in these percentages. Anyways, because I could get in on the minus 4.5 and because I saw... Um, I think it was FanDuel still had 4.5 available and DraftKings had already moved to 5. I went in for a full unit on Denver minus 4.5. You could still get minus 5 at FanDuel now. I would still suggest that side. Um, the Denver Nuggets do have slight rest advantage. The Denver Nuggets do have home court. The Denver Nuggets probably do have talent advantage. Denver Nuggets, although Darvin Ham's been really pulling the right strings, I'm a big Mike Malone guy or as he likes to be called, Michael Malone. Um, Denver Nuggets also coaching advantage. So rest advantage, home court advantage, probably slight talent advantage, and coaching advantage. I'm going to be on Denver, but we all know the tales of LeBron. There's two dichotomies of LeBron James playoff performances that we're looking at in this spot. And it's really pick your narrative and pick your lane. I don't really play into any of these narratives. I'm playing into what I just said, the first line movement, the four and a half to five, the fact that 53% of the early bets are on Denver, but 81% of the money is on Denver. So big money backers are on Denver and the home court, the rest, the talent, the coaching. However, LeBron on now what? It's it, His last game was Friday night. So we get Saturday off, Sunday off, Monday off, and then Tuesday all day. So essentially four days between games to rest. LeBron on four days rest in the playoffs is a menace. Like, he knows how to pick his spots in playoff series to say this is a game that we really need. So you have that aspect of LeBron on rest maybe really going for it, and you might get the sharpest tool in the shed. On the flip side of that, LeBron is also known for sitting back a little bit at the start of series. He is, doesn't have a great game one record. We were on Memphis in game one, round one, even though Lakers won that, that game. We were on the uh, Lakers in round two because Lakers had a big rest advantage over Warriors coming off that Kings game. Here's an advantage where we are on the Nuggets because of the rest advantage and such. I am going to assume 
narrative says LeBron angles to go all out for game two of this series. He's going to come to the game one with feelers. He's going to start, you know, observing things. He's going to take a back seat. He's going to go conservation LeBron mode, take his over in his rebounds prop in game one, because that's generally what LeBron does when he's not looking to score. He gets 12 rebounds. So look to escalate LeBron's rebound prop in game one, and then look to come back on the Lakers possibly in game two. But for now, the market is clearly telling us Nuggets game one, home court game one, Altitude game one, Jokic game one. Took me a while to even mention the best player in the playoffs name. Okay. That is how I'm reading these games. Now let's talk about the existing futures ticket that I have. It actually bleeds right into us talking about how the market is on the Nuggets and how I might be expecting the Lakers to come back for game two. So the futures ticket that I have you could check my Twitter, or you could join the Sports Ethos Wager Pass and Discord channel, and you could see it posted in there. On December 30th, 2022, I sent out a tweet, and I sent out a memo to the Wager Pass and Discord channel, and I said, now is the time. I'm literally reading it verbatim. I am taking the Denver Nuggets 14-1 to to win the NBA championship. I also, in that tweet, had the Warriors at 13-1. to That ticket is now dead, but we're talking about evaluating and working off existing futures. So I was all over the Lakers last series. I was following some of these rules I'm about to talk about, understanding where the market is versus where your futures ticket is. And Denver 14-1 to is the one I want to talk about today, and I want to go in-depth over. So I was riding a Denver 14-to-1 ticket all the way since December 30th, 2022. It is now May 13th, 2023, nearly five and a half months later, pretty much exactly that, and we are into the third round of the Western Conference playoffs. We are at the Western Conference Finals, a few weeks away from that ticket, potentially cashing and very much still being alive. So the general rules... For hedging, and what we're talking about is working off a futures ticket. That is basically means hedging your futures ticket. But I'm going to be working off of it in stages. It's not one direct hedge. So I'm just fluctuating the word choice that I use. So um, in this case, I was sitting on that futures ticket since December. It is now May. We are in the playoffs. The first risk for that ticket came in round one against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Of course, if the Timberwolves had beaten the Nuggets in that series, that futures ticket would have been dead. But be between the time I placed it and the time that series tipped off, the Nuggets were firmly in the playoff picture. I knew they were going to at least make the playoffs. But they were not even close to a play-in position. They were going to be a top six. They ended up securing the number one seed. So I knew that ticket would be alive come playoff time, and it very much was. When the odds opened up, for the Timberwolves versus Nuggets round one series, I believe the odds were a minus 900. So using my implied probability formulas, I knew that a minus 900 line correlates to, this is pretty easy, a 90% implied probability that the Nuggets were going to take the series. So at that point, I was very unconcerned with starting to hedge. If you're going to hedge a futures ticket 
where this existing side that you're on still has a 90% implied probability, even though you're sitting on a 14 to 1, which, let me just quickly do the math. That's 6.7% implied probability. So again, existing, uh, what I paid is 6.7%. And then I'm choosing to hedge off at 90%. That would not make sense. So I did not hedge off at 90% with three rounds to go. I did not even bother to check the steam and how the market moved it. If the market moved it out to minus 1,000, if the market moved it to minus 800, I did not care. The Denver Nuggets were such heavy favorites. I chose to do nothing in round one. I actually continued to back Denver in nearly every single game in that series, except for the one that Timberwolves won. I was on the Timberwolves in that one. Um, we crushed in that series. We cleaned up. We won a lot of units. And we kept our futures ticket alive. Then round two came and they played the daunting Phoenix Suns. Or so everyone thought the daunting Phoenix Suns. When the Phoenix Suns were up 3-2 against the Clippers. And the Nuggets had already advanced past the Timberwolves. DraftKings actually put out a look-ahead series line. And that line gave the Denver Nuggets plus 105 odds in the series against the Suns. So... For the first time since placing that futures ticket, I had a situation where the ticket was on the line because if they lost the series against the Sun, the ticket was dead and they were underdogs and the market was moving against them. When the Suns closed out their series, that look ahead line became a real series price. Denver was priced at plus 110 and the next morning later I checked again. And it was all the way out to Denver plus 120. The Phoenix side went minus 110, minus 120, minus 140. So Phoenix was taking in steam. It was getting more expensive to bet on Phoenix. They were the clear favorites in the series according to the pricing, not the results, uh, not the seating, but according to the Vegas pricing of odds, which is what I'm most concerned about. The Phoenix Suns were the favorite and my futures ticket was at risk of losing. So at that point, I placed a 1.4 unit bet on the minus 140 to return one unit, which would have perfectly hedged off my one unit to win 14 units on the Nuggets 14 to 1 future. So if the Suns had won that series, I would have netted equal in placing that future back in December. And if the Suns lost that series, which they did, my 14 to 1 future would go forward, but now my my what I risked to win 14, this is where we're starting to do some futures math and understanding how exposures change as you start to work off and hedge at multiple stages. So I did a first initial small hedge on the Suns series price in round two of my Nuggets championship ticket, which would take four rounds of playoffs to win. I risked one unit to win 14. On the flip side, my first hedge was 1.4 units to win one. I lost those 1.4 units. The one unit to win 14 remains alive. So what I've really done, I am going to add the exposure that I put on the Phoenix Suns to my Nuggets ticket. What I really did right now is I've bet 2.4 units to win 14 units on the Denver Nuggets. That 1.4 
that I bet on the Suns now needs to get added to the exposure that I'm considering myself having already risked on the Denver Nuggets. Why is that? Because if I choose to hedge off of it in the future, if I choose to start to work off of this with potentially some Lakers series pricing or some potential Celtics or Heat or 76ers, whoever happens to be there, if they play the Nuggets in the finals, then if I decide to hedge in the future, my net return needs to be 2.4 units to cover up the one unit of loss on the Denver Nuggets and the 1.4 units of loss on the Phoenix Suns series price as the first stage of a hedge. So I am not looking at a common misconception is for people to say, well, now I've risked one unit to win 14 minus 1.4, which would be 12.6. So really that ticket is not 14 to 1 anymore. It's 12.6 to 1. That is the wrong way to look at it. Although you're still shifting the 1.4 units and you're, you're coming into this with the right concept, it is a misconception because if you decide to hedge off in the future, you are going to be working to acquire one unit when you've already also lost 1.4. So you should be looking to acquire 2.4 units and still know if that one unit cashes, you're bringing home 14. So it'll be a net, what? 12.6 profit or what 12.4 profit 11.4 profit sorry my math sucks while I'm recording live but no 11.6 but you would have risked 2.4 so now let's use this now that we've worked through the exposure component let's talk about are we going to hedge off with the Lakers why or why not at this stage I am choosing no well Mike why would you hedge off of a Denver Nuggets versus Phoenix Suns in round two, but then say no to hedging off in round three at the start of the Lakers series? Well, I am observing the market. Remember when I talked about the Phoenix Suns series, I said coming into that series, steam is on the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Suns are priced as the betting favorite. Well, now we've advanced a stage further. The Nuggets are now the minus 140 in the series. A minus 140 carries an implied probability of 58.3% chance that the Nuggets take this series. Furthermore, we're seeing the steam in the line movement change from 4.5 to 5.5. So in Game 1, where they have these advantages, if they do take Game 1 and Game 1 goes according to the market, then I could reapproach the series price what do we get in the Lakers price right now is a plus 120. If the Lakers are down 1-0 and they don't have home court advantage in the series, then maybe we're looking at a plus 200. And let's see how game two starts to steam. Let's see how the uh, series price starts to steam after a 1-0 lead. Do you start coming in on the Lakers, going into that narrative uh, LeBron is con was conserving. He's going to angle for game two. Lakers end up winning game two. Then they end up having a tied series with a stolen home court. That's a much different situation. So right now, I am choosing no. I am not choosing to continue to add hedge exposure at this moment on the Lakers side because the market is currently saying in this particular matchup, Nuggets are still the right side. The market said in the last one, 
Suns are the right side. So I said, okay, let me work off a little bit. Let me reduce my exposure a little bit. Let me cover my losses a little bit. Now I'm saying I don't have to do that. Of course, said it a few times already, I might end up with egg on my face. I might end up having to eat some value. I might end up having to lose these tickets. That's okay. You do this long over time. If you constantly have futures tickets that you say, okay, this ticket look good. It's still alive. Let me evaluate it before it dies, before it has a chance to be eliminated, whether or not it has gained value and what the market is saying for its current situation. So obviously from a 14 to 1 to a now Denver is a plus 240, right? So 14 to 1 to 2.4 to 1, that's a crazy difference. I've gained a ton of value. Is the market saying that the ticket is at risk right now? No. So I am going to let that ride, and that is how I handle futures tickets. So let's talk about that simply if you were on the Boston Celtics in this situation. If you were on the Boston Celtics, I assume a lot of people do have futures tickets on the Boston Celtics, whatever those are, you would want to be looking at how much should I risk, what is my potential reward, and say, okay, this game seven is starting to steam a little bit towards Philly. We are starting to see it go from plus seven and a half to plus six and a half. I don't know if that's completely correlated to the movement in the spread. It likely is, but we can't be just totally blind to the fact that the the, the 76ers spread has reduced by a point. The money line has gotten less bang for your buck. There's giving you less return. So they are uh, wanting, they don't want you to bet on the 76ers here in this in this spot. They'll pay you out less if you do bet on that side. So this would be the first point that I would hedge some Celtics tickets. I would sprinkle a little bit on either the Philadelphia 76ers plus 6.5, open up a small middle. I would actually really like that. Or the plus 220 to directly work off a hedge. And then reevaluate it with what comes out in game one. And how does the odds shift for game one? Of course, the winner of this series in Celtics 76ers, plays on Wednesday night against the Miami Heat. These teams will be the home team, but they will be coming off a game seven quick turnaround time, which in the playoffs is generally a brutal spot. The trends say bet the Heat against the spread for game one, considering the rest advantage in the game seven to game one split. However, let's see what the market says. If you're on the Celtics again, and the Celtics open up at four and a half, and they move to five and a half, I wouldn't start hedging Heat. I would hedge a little bit 76ers now, and I would hedge heat if it opened at five and moved to three and a half. Then I'd be, okay, yeah, now I do need to hedge some heat. So you're reading the market to understand the indicators of when you need to start hedging. Is this ticket at the brink of death? Do I need to start hedging? And when I mean brink of death, I don't mean, yes, game seven, clearly if Philadelphia wins this game, that's the, that's death. But also, like, it's a series thing. So... Game one, if the Heat were to win game one and you didn't hedge before, that would really suck because then you'd have to you'd have to pay a lot more to start hedging because Heat would be up 1-0 with now home court advantage in the series. So when I mean brink of death, I mean like at the stage where if they lose that matchup, the ticket is dead. So you're at your these tickets are pretty much now all on the brink of death because we are in playoff series. So futures tickets or championship futures tickets would be on the brink of death. All right. That wraps up how you would approach hedging and working off a futures ticket at multiple stages. That wraps up my best bets for 
the slate breakdown that we current, currently have. I am on Celtics minus seven and a half. I am on the over 205 and a half. And I am on the Denver Nuggets minus four and a half. Reminder, on Tuesday, me, you, the whole crew, going to be on YouTube live stream for the NBA Draft Lottery. And then I will likely be back later next week with more Slate Breakdown stuff. I'll try and do some Game 2 Lakers nuggets, and maybe we could revisit how we're going to approach this, this hedge situation, and we could start actually breaking down the, hopefully, Celtics Heat Series because I'm on the Celtics in that game. But, of course, the fan in me is rooting for potentially an Embiid, Jokic. Right now, I actually want the Lakers to make the finals the most because I'm a huge LeBron stan. But if it's not the Lakers, I want uh, Jokic and Embiid. So I have conflicting interest because if it is the Lakers, I don't really care who, who comes out of the I guess I'd want still want the 76ers. So the fan in me wants the 76ers, but I'm loyal to my bankroll above all else, and I think the Celtics are the right side. All right, as always, peace out. See you Tuesday.